0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, March 20th, 2016. The share ID for Friday, March 18th, is 8550. That's 8550. This morning, A Vision for You presents Steps 6 and 7, The Path to Recovery or relapse. Overeaters Anonymous stands for the proposition that the 12 steps give us freedom from the bondage of our disease. The 12 steps, as outlined in the big book, represent a process of spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to overcome compulsive overeating. We experience an inward rearrangement that actually transforms us in the way we think, feel, and behave. We must submit to a simple step process that is not easy, yet takes us to a place we've never been. In step one, we saw the problem. In step two, we saw the solution. Step three, we had to make a decision. And in step four, we had to go to work to identify the things that blocked us. In step five, we re those blocks, getting down to their exact nature. So steps one, two, three, four, and five have put us into proper position for steps six and seven, the path to recovery or relapse. Joining us this morning to speak on this topic is John Kay, a recovered compulsive overeater from California. John is dedicated to the 12-step way of life and to carrying this message of recovery. Welcome to the line, John Kay.
1: Thank you, Leah. Uh, my name is John Kiernan. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Los Angeles. Um, let me first give you uh, my uh, CV. Uh, I've been in program for 34 years. I've been in a number for both. Uh, I've been in Two programs for 34 years, 34 years sober in one, 21 years absence in this one, uh, and I've been maintaining 1, about 510-pound weight loss for the majority of that time. Uh, when we were uh, coming up with the name for the uh, uh, this talk today about Step 6 and 7, the, the thing I thought of was it's the path to recovery or relapse because it is pretty much where uh, the Fork in the Road Lies, you know, in the A 12 and 12, it talks about this step that separates the men from the boys, and, you know, uh, sexist language notwithstanding, I, I really do think it's true, and, and the main reason I think it's true, and this to me is the key to these steps, is that our disease, my disease, will gain access and entry back into my life through these character defects, and I've watched this many years over the years, you know, having been around. Um, I've seen this with a lot of people. I've seen people who had, uh, you know, four, five, six years in program go out. And I really believe it has to do with sort of doing a cursory run through the steps, not really focusing that much on step six and seven. Uh, you know, uh, the thing I heard recently that I love is it's, the person said, the steps are not a rite of passage. They're a way of life. You know, uh, meaning uh, you know, it's a continual process. Uh, and the longer you're around, the, I think the more you realize just how important step six and seven are. You know, they certainly are for me today. But you know, in some ways, I, I, I joke. They said, "Well, you know, reason uh, you don't you don't realize that that much until you've got a, a certain amount of years under your belt." And I think that's why they're not mentioned very much in the big book. You know, uh, if you remember these people, only had a few years of free when the big book was written, you know, and, uh, Leo was saying to me, uh, you know, don't forget a vision for you. People love when you, you know, you, uh, talk about the big book and read from it. And, and in this case you have two steps that have only two paragraphs written about them. And half of that, half of one of those steps is the seven step prayer. So, uh, certainly addressed more in the, uh, AA 12 and 12 and other 12. Um, but first I, um, when I talk about these steps in my retreats, um, you know, I'm usually not talking about them until, you know, about Saturday afternoon sometime because I run through the preceding steps. Uh, and, and, and like Leo was sort of doing on the intro there, I believe there's a perfect flow to the steps. If they're working correctly, one just leads you to the next, which leads you to the next, and so on and so on. And it's a perfect uh, path. And uh, and so I want to take a few minutes just to go over the steps a little because I think it's an important thing. It'll be a real it'll be a sh- shorter version of that. Obviously, going to everything I talk about in a weekend into a couple of minutes. But it's important. The other thing I'm going to say is that when I'm going to talk about the steps right now, I'm going to talk about sort of the initial process through uh, versus uh, relapse. I you know I I have seen some things that I if you're coming out of relapse or uh, things you want to sort of think about differently in these steps, but uh, I'm not going to talk about that today. If you want, there's a, I talked, I guess, back in December, sometimes I did the whole thing on relapse, and you can you can listen to that and get more about that here. But I want to just talk about my journey to the steps to begin with uh, uh, just to go over it, you know. You know, I came in when I was uh, 26 years old, and uh, I w- weight had been a problem my whole life. I was always a bad kid in school and all that. And I never liked it. I didn't want it, uh, but I'd also never been able to keep the weight off. I had uh, uh, I, It's not like I hadn't lost weight. I lost weight numerous times, but keeping it off, that, that was the thing. And just like everybody else, you can hear in every story I've ever heard, you know, uh, I would go on a diet. And, and all the diets worked, worked once, you know, because I'm a good little student. And you give me how, what I have to do on this uh, course called weight loss, and I will follow it. Uh, The trouble is I have the brain of an addict, and so then the second time around, um, I'm on an old loophole, playing games. And and so then I would gain all my weight back, and and then some. (laughs) I heard somebody say one day, uh, uh, and this is me too, uh, you know, I really didn't go on a diet. I just sent my weight out for reinforcements, (laughs) and that certainly would happen. But what finally happened when I came is, is I was able to look backwards at my life and realize all my brain power, all my efforts, none of it ever worked at all, you know, in in the big picture. It took me years to get to that because I always thought I would find the answer around the next corner. You know, I'm, I'm so close to getting this figured out, but no. no uh, now I was really realizing I was powerless, you know. Uh, I don't know if I believe my life was unmanageable at that exact moment, but, uh, you know, I was powerless. And, you know, so when you're an addict like me and you realize you're powerless, you're, you're in that place of, boy, I'm, I'm screwed, <laughs> you know. So uh, then I, I know, start to realize I need help. You know, I need a power greater than myself to help me with my problem. You know, so I'm staring at step two in the face. Now, in step two, I, you know, I'm a firm believer, and I tell them, especially newcomers, that moving on with the steps does not require a belief in any kind of formal higher power. You know, it, may, it simply requires I see myself as a lesser power, at least in terms of recovering from compulsive overeating. You know, the key to recovery, I believe, is in this 12-step process that's outlined in the big book. Uh, it's not a matter of a conscious contact with a higher power. Not that having a conscious contact doesn't help, but it's not required. You know, uh, if you think about it, no matter what you believe or don't believe about a higher power, You know, you probably believe it's been around since before 1935, you know, yet people were dying without hope of alcohol, uh, of alcoholism, and people were dying without hope of compulsive eating until 1960. And some of these people that were dying were members of the clergy, you know. In my 34 years in program, you know, I've known priests, ministers, rabbis, nuns, cantors, all who I'm sure had a wonderful conscious contact with a higher power, yet they couldn't recover needed the steps in the program of recovery as outlined in pages of the big book. Well, I personally believe this program, the steps of the big book, were all my higher powers gifts to the twentieth century. You know, it is the rowboat that was sent to us, you know, to help us all, you know, get to that shore of recovery. All we have to do is get in and row. You know, and that's all those priests, ministers, and rabbis had to do. And they have done. They got in the rowboat and rowed. You know, so if you're an atheist and agnostic or, a, you know, I don't know what text to believe you people tell me God and higher power is, it, don't worry, you know. Uh, as it says in the, in the A.A. 12 and 12, the you have to jump through as much bigger than you think. You just need to believe in the rowboat. You know, you I happen to believe that rowboat's tied up to a thread to a higher power. You don't. You just have to believe in the rowboat. The only faith you need is the faith in this process of recovery. You know, and finding that faith uh, in that is pretty easy for most of us because we can look around the rooms and see the proof that this process works. You know, we simply need to contrast, you know, the recovery we see with our own lifelong inability to get the same results, you know. And, and there are two important things there, you know, of realizing that there's a power greater than myself that can help me with my problem and the ability to realize that at least when it comes to the addiction, I'm insane, you know. I look the the, the second step parts around and say I'm crazy. That's why I need help. You know, the trouble is that the biggest problem that this insanity has is it's very subtle and it's very specific. You know, if I were, you know, totally nuts, if I, you know, it all, you know, all of a sudden come to me walking in traffic, I, I think I'd go, wow, well, I can't trust this brain. But I, you know, I think like so many of us have have used my brain accomplish marvelous things in my life except in this one specific area of putting down my substance, or substances in my case, and keeping them down and in that case I was insane, at least by one dictionary's definition of insanity which said a state of mind that prevents normal perception you know, I could not see things when I was in the disease about my eating that are just so obvious so you know I'm powerless. I need a power greater than myself because I'm crazy and now now I've got that I can't do this myself. I need to avail myself of that help. And, you know, this means reaching out and asking for it. I, I have often said that when I came into program and also when I was trying to get out of my relapse cycle, by the way, that when I did that, I needed a sponsor way more than I needed a higher power. You know,
2: and and I know today
1: that a sponsor was bridge to my higher power, but at that exact moment, the key to step three was surrendering and asking for help, you know, and that meant in particular, taking direction, you know, I was the one that was crazy, so I needed to be willing to listen to someone else, at the very least, you know, they were going to be objective uh, about my problems and especially about my food, and if I'm really willing to go to any lengths, I don't ask for help from a sponsor and then try to negotiate how that health will go. You know, and this is especially true with my food and working out of food plan because I'm knee-deep in the disease. As somebody out here I, I love says, you know, you can't negotiate with your disease. It's always going to win, you know. And that's what I love about the 12-step concept of higher power, of grounded-out higher power. And by that I mean the concept of God, myself, and another human being. Because, you see, the trouble is I'm an addict, you know, and when I try to meditate and listen for the voice of my higher power, you know, I I can't be sure I'm hearing the voice of my higher power or possibly I'm hearing the voice of my disease, you know, that's just doing a really good impression of my higher power. You know, I always joke, I said, I can go, you know, go into some dark room to pray and meditate and come out convinced that, you know, God told me chocolate was a vegetable, (laughs) but then I go call my sponsor and tell him, hey God, don't eat chocolate and vegetable and he's like, Yeah, not today. <laughs> but that's what I need. I need that help. And so then having got to that point, I need to get into action. And you know, for me that's that fearless and thorough moral inventory, you know, and step uh, forward. As I as I tell my sponsees also, it look it doesn't say write a Russian novel length biography of everything that ever happened to you in your life. You know. I, and I also tell them, by the way, that there's no such thing as step four five. There isn't a step four five. There isn't a step eight nine. There's a step four. Step four, I tell them, and I believe it's about getting this stuff out on paper for you to see. You know, and you need to do it. If you're doing it right, you need to do it with no eye on who you're going to give it to later. Very important. Or you will censor it. And That's gonna you're gonna miss the whole thing there. You know, and so then I needed to list my resentments, you know, my fears, my sex inventory, all the things that burdened me. And it would also help me identify these character defects and the people to whom I've done harm. And I love the technology we have now. You know, I tell sponsors, if you know how to use a spreadsheet, it's the best. Because when you're all done, you can, you can sort by the end part. You know, what's my part in it? You know, what, what's it affect. Because then you can just see this with the effect, and how often they just repeat ego, ego, fear, fear. All things are just there. So having finished it, I then give it away. And like I, I was saying, it, it can be to anybody. I'm really adamant about that. You, say, you know, I gave one to a therapist. You can give it to a clergyman. Don't worry about it in the fourth. Deal with it in the fifth. I can't tell you how great I felt when I did my first fifth step. You know, I could look people in the eye for the first time in years. Um, And and the thing is that this is another example of why we need to have some faith in the process. You know, the fourth step can be painful. And in many ways, the only way to really understand how important it is, is to look backwards at it in the rearview mirror. You know, and, and, you know, so that brings us to step six and seven, what we're going to end up talking about today. You know, of course, in the beginning, in the first times, a few times around in my step, these were, I, I, I called them the speed bump steps. Boom, I'm right past them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, defects. Okay. Yeah, God, take them away.
2: <laughs> and I
1: think people in the early years, uh, you know, feel that way. Uh, the thing is, if we gloss over the six, seven steps, we're going to and go on to, you know, make our amends. We're just going to end up winding up holding more amends. By repeating a lot of that same destructive behavior as before. Uh, but let's get, we'll get back to step six and seven a minute. Let me just run past the rest of the journey uh, and the process. You know, in step eight, we identify the people we harmed uh, and you we know, make amends to them all. And yeah, for me, that meant using the list I had developed in the fourth step. Uh, and this is where I really needed to help sponsor this. I would go back and forth between either wanting to put everybody I'd ever had a bad thought about on there. Or wanting to avoid the really tough ones by trying to whip out that, except when to do so would injure them or other loopholes, and having a sponsor help guide you is important. Then you get a step nine, With the help of that sponsor, you've got that list figured out. And then you set about making uh, the amends, you know, And now this is a long term process, You know, or it could even be a lifelong process in some terms. Uh, 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 I was taught whenever possible. Men should be meeting in person face-to-face unless you really, really can't. And, and that takes a lot more time than just firing off a bunch of emails. You know, I was taught whenever possible, even if you're not, it's a different city, you think you'll eventually get back to that city. You consider doing it face-to-face. That's a choice between you and your sponsor, but it is a long-term thing, you know. So then we continue on with the rest of the steps. We get into the keep-up steps. I was always taught steps one, two, and three are the give up steps four through nine or the clean up steps, 1, and 12. or the keep up steps, which I continue to you know do this daily uh you know in step ten i, I promptly admit when I've done it wrong, uh of course, you know sometimes it takes a little while to realize when it is I have done it wrong uh, now I I tell you, the longer you're around, the less time that realization takes uh and and in terms of other stuff about step ten, I tend to like to use. Specific guidance the big book has on page eighty six. You know. Article goes into upon retiring you can start to review. You know, our day. Uh It's a really great little checklist to consider. You know, and then moving on to step eleven. You know, right there on page eighty six, I think practically the next paragraph it goes into how to handle step eleven you know. on awakening. Consider the twenty four hours ahead, and uh, I try to do this in terms of uh, getting up in the morning and taking a deep. Before I jump into my day, uh, trying to, you know, realize what kind of a life I'm trying to lead today. I'm trying to lead a a God-centered life. I'm trying to lead a a life that's a good representative of the 12-step program. And that requires just not hitting the ground running if I can try and, you know, read a little literature and take a little bit of time for meditation. Uh, and prayer and, and to me the most important word that that for me in the steps is the word only in the steps step. praying only for knowledge the for us, and his will power to carry that out. And for me, and if you're an atheist, let me kick the God part out and just say it means figuring how to shape myself to the world, not the other way around. You know, you know, I do have a belief in higher power today, and it isn't about coming with a list for myself, you know, because I don't know what's right for me. Look look at my Best thinking got me before I came to the program. It's just, I will be done. You know, even when it comes to other people, I, I don't, you know, people can want something, but I don't want to say, God, let that person have that, because I don't know if that's right for them. You know, I just, what's best for them. And then, step 12, having had that spiritual awakening, you know, as the result of these steps, and that was actually taught to me early on, too. A uh, person said to me, look, this isn't nitpicking, but it is the most uh, misread thing in the steps because it says having had a spiritual awakening as a result in these steps and what the person told me is there is one result that comes out of these steps and that is a spiritual awakening from which all other things will then flow and uh, that's an important thing and then you know having worked through these steps I got to carry this message I have to carry this message to others you know and for me I'll, I'll also just say Rebecca, that that uh, involves physical recovery. You know, I can't go out and try and help others and tell people how wonderful the program I'm in is if I'm you know, way overweight. You know? um, and I do want to help others. And then also it's about giving a service. Uh, you know, giving back that which was so freely given to me. You know, uh, it's insurance. As Dr. Bob there's a great little section at the end of Dr. Bob's Nightmare in the big book. He explains why Dr. Bob does a service. and one the things he says that insurance against future slip. And I certainly believe that. You know, one of my favorite lines in program is, uh, uh, be nice to your sponsees, because you never know when they might end up being your sponsor. (laughs)
2: Um,
1: And then finally, all through this process, the most important part of the steps at the end of the day is practicing these principles in all our affairs. You know, all of anything I've said so far I'm going to say for the rest of this talk or, you know, when I lead a retreat or, you know, lead a meeting or whatever, it's all just blah, blah. If I then just leave the place and and go out and cut people off in traffic, curse at them, give them the finger, go home, yell at my wife, go on and be dishonest at work or whatever, I need to to practice these principles. And working these steps sees that I don't do this, that I have alternatives. But again, this is a continual, ongoing process, you know. This is why I'm a a believer in continually going through the steps, you know. Some people talk about just living in steps 10, 11, and 12, as opposed to continuing to go through the steps. But personally, personal opinions on all of this, by the way, uh, I feel it's a peeling the onion kind of thing, you know. War was revealed. I always joke, I said, yeah, I keep peeling the onion." they keep making more onion on you, <laughs> you know? But you see, I think part of the process involves something which in, in other areas is, is called the feedback loop. And by that, I mean that the more I get out of the program and the more I, I things are, are revealed, the more I understand the second time through the steps because now I have more information about myself and my behaviors that I gleaned, you know, through working all the steps the first time. For me... To be willing to let go of a character defect, I first have to realize it is a character defect. And 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 on some of the mine, I, I could only see that having gone through the steps more than once. You know, you know, one of the true gifts I've gotten through the steps, and it's probably one of the most important ones for me, is the gift of compassion. You know, I can now rise, at, you know, above myself and see things through other people's eyes, find compassion for them realize, you know, that they're just all grown-up kids like me trying to unlearn a lot of bad things in their childhood. And, again, it starts to give you a different way of looking at things and things at your behavior and realizing your hardness. And uh, more importantly, when it comes uh, to step six and seven and these defects, I, I can learn compassion for myself, you know, for my own broken little kid, you know, who certainly didn't ask for these defects, you know. And, and that's why this, this whole thing is a life process, you know, constant work. Um, you know, it brings up that whole debate that people have had for years about you say you're recovered or you say you're recovering, you know. And I, I will joke and say, you know, I, I can say both, and the reason I'll say both is this, that when it comes to my physical disease, I am just like the people who talks about the forward to the first edition. You know, we were 100 men and uh, women, uh, men and women who were, you know, from seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. I have 34 years I have not picked up uh, in my other program, 21 years I haven't picked up that first compulsive bite. In those terms, I am recovered. And you get people out in other meetings, go, Well, wait a minute, you're recovered. And I go, Well, what does mean? I can't be unrecovered at some point, but I am recovered from that seemingly hopeless state. But when it comes to the other parts, remember this is a threefold disease. It also is spiritual and it's also mental slash emotional am I recovered in those two areas? Well well I
3: wish <laughs> but no I'm not.
1: So anyway, let's get back to the the thing we're here for, which is steps six and seven. You know. And again, why I think these steps are so crucial to recovery are that if we do not do this work, our disease will get back in. You know, I can bolt the front and back door uh against this disease between you know, using steps, you know, the one and the three and, and tools and all that, but if I don't work on these character defects, they're the big,
4: you know, windows,
1: my disease will get back in, even though the front and back doors are locked and bolted. And and so we get to the talk of character defects. Now, let me just say, I'm going to continue the talk past I'm about to say and use the phrase character defects because it's good shorthand. Everybody knows what we're talking about. But it's like you like the word God and program is going to mean something different to everybody in a way. And personally, I'm not a huge fan of the phrase character defects. Uh, you know, I think a lot of that, that came from an earlier time, you know, it came from a time where there was certain moral and religious thinking, you know, uh, you know, and it's from where these 12 Steps originated back before AA. You know, the concept of sin and sinning, you know, have always been a part of, of many, you know, major religions. You know, definitely present in the early days of this program or the you know, mother program got idea of good and evil, you know. Some people may have heard of the term yet sehara, to, so good inclination versus bad inclination. Or if you want to take a more secular version of that, use the old cartoon metaphor the angel on one shoulder, the devil on the other, you know, and that's the way I think people were thinking of humans and people coming into program that way, that they were constantly fighting that battle. You know, the trouble for me with that is it sort of flies in the face of what the other thing we're told when we come in that that this problem we have is not a moral failing, it's a disease. And I believe it is a disease, but I believe, you know, these things that we tend to want to call character defects are part of the symptoms, you know, and most of them coming in the forms of behavior. But um, I find it helpful to sort of try and strip away that moral tone. And, And I may be wrong, but I'm guessing so did Bill Wilson, because Uh, you know, the evolution of what was talked about earlier ended up becoming a slightly less moralistic phrase, which was character defects. But again, to me, the word defect itself comes with a certain judgment. You know, uh, personally, I like a couple of different phrases that describe this set of behaviors differently. You know, I like the concept of defense mechanisms instead of character defects or survival skills, you know. The other thing I've heard, which I think is perfectly true as well, is, is calling them character liabilities, because that's what they really are for us now. They're liabilities. They're not, they're not assets anymore. But we, I, for me, I needed to remember these defects were things that came to me as ways to cope in an earlier time in my life. You know, we don't do these things for no reason. We're not nuts. They serve the purpose. You know, for many of us, we grew up in dysfunctional households. And they were defenses against, you know, an often hostile environment. You know, they weren't, you know, crazy, crazy actions and ideas. They were actually sane reactions, reactions to a world of craziness. But what we need to know now is they're no longer serving us and that we need to get rid of them, you know, to make way for better ways of getting through life. And that's the part of step six, you know. And, of course, the gotcha word in step six is entirely you know, the key when it comes to these character defects is to be willing to let go of all of those, you know, root branches, of doesn't sorry. And, and it's not easy. Again, you know, again, going back a little to people who may not have a huge amount of faith, you know, come in as agnostic. You know, they uh, they come in with little or no faith sometimes of any kind of formal religious version. But, again, work these steps requires developing some of that faith, you know, especially in increasing frequency as we move through the steps, at least in the step process itself. So, again, as I mentioned before, working in steps may, very often comes front-loaded with a certain amount of pain you know, or discomfort, let's say, not necessarily pain. Uh, uh, but it isn't until after we've done the steps we can look back and understand why it's important, and hence the need for some faith, which is especially true here. You know, we see people who came in before us getting better, and we have to realize they wouldn't lead us us wrong, and they say that the key is being willing to let go of all of these character defects, all of them. Well, you know, this is just another level of surrender. You know, it requires faith, faith that we will no longer need these defects, and faith that they'll be supplanted, they'll be replaced by something better. You know, but we've gotta we gotta be willing to let go with one hand and before we can receive with the other. And in turn <clears throat> the process continues on, you know, because if we do get rid of those, it leads us to, to be better people. And and then not only that, but it leads us to like ourselves better because we are becoming better people. At the end of the day, a person who likes him or herself doesn't wanna go do self-destructive things like compulsive eating and drinking and drugging and all the
3: things we did. You know, so letting go of these defects,
1: you know, requires what seems at the moment uh, like a certain amount of sacrifice. But, you know, it's just like giving up the food seemed like a sacrifice when we first came in the program. Now, for most of us, that sacrifice, quote-unquote, you know, was actually, as it turns out, a great deal, and no greater at that, you know. Uh, but having faith in this process means that we have to realize the same will be true with these defects, you know. And sometimes these these behaviors are less about bad behaviors and more about, you know, perfectly fine behaviors taken at normal lengths, like it talked about in in our literature. And so uh, what I thought I'd do is be a little specific today, uh, just mainly concerning my defects. Is, you know, that's the only thing I can really talk about, I know. Um, and certainly I have many. Uh, keep working on them constantly, but the two, and I'll talk about even things that concerning the past with me, but the two main areas I had, I believe the most that affected me the most in terms of my disease was uh, immaturity and narcissism, you know, narcissism being a fancy word for what is called in the big book, self-centeredness, you know, and I'll talk about some others, but let's, let me talk about those first. Um, My disease he really loves the fact that I'm immature when it comes, to, you know, I'm like a little child. I want what I want when I want it, you know.
2: <laughs> and I
1: remember uh, <clears throat> talking to a sponsor one day, and I was quoting uh, the line from uh, More About Alcoholism, you know, to the effect of, you know, the, the great desire of every compulsive eater to someday eat like a normal person. And he laughed. He goes, "No, no, we don't want to eat like normal people." We want to eat the way we want to eat and have none of the bad effects. (laughs) you know what I thought? They can eat absolutely right. You know, uh, a normal person gets a – he's out at a restaurant, gets a piece of cake, and eats one bite and goes, oh, that's too rich. You know, well, that's never going to be me, no matter how much time I have to recover. (laughs) But that's just it. There's a little five-year-old driving part of my disease. He goes – wait, I'm working, I'm in OA. I'm doing all this service, and, and i got all this time, so, so, you know, the laws of physiology shouldn't apply to me, you know, well, guess what, they do, you know, but especially when I was in my relapse, well, I, you know, I lost, uh, I'm still down 50 pounds for my top, you know, yeah, but I was still walking around 50 pounds overweight, trying to convince people I was asking, thank God we have that thing now uh you no know, way of you know abstinence is you know moving toward or being at a healthy body weight, I think it helps break denial a little people.
4: But this is how my disease gets in, through that crazy
1: little five year old that, you know, looks at people eating things and says, I don't want to eat that, you know, but I can't. I can't eat it like a gentleman. You know? We got a great guy out here in LA out in the valley named Bray. He's been around God we'll see it in forty years now in program. Ray always says my program is I eat whatever I want, whenever I want, as much as I want, if I'm willing to pay the price. And today I'm not, so I eat three weighted measured meals, nothing in between, except diet soda. Some people may know what that's from. Um, and that's the way I have to be. I have to lose that. I can't. That's my disease whispering in my ear. I can't. You know, it's preying on my immaturity. I can't have that. Sure, I can have as much as I want if I'm willing to pay the price. But, you know, it's, that's the way my disease would work. And, and I remember in the middle of the, my relapse, I developed a resentment against the program I was in at the time, which happened to have a very specific food plan. They can't tell me I can't have sugar and white flour. No, they can't. You live in a free country. You can eat whatever you want. But that's the problem. My disease wants to hold up this balance sheet, the balance sheet of program. You know, there's the pluses and the minuses, and my disease wants to hold that balance sheet up to me, but it wants to white out the plus side. It wants to hold up the balance sheet and say, oh, you poor thing, look, you don't get to eat this or that or this. Oh, and you know what, you poor thing, you've got to plan your food a little more than the average person does. You've got to think ahead of where you're going to go and can you get the food you want. Oh, you poor thing. But you know what it doesn't tell me? It doesn't hold up. The, it doesn't say, you poor thing, you don't get winded walking up three or four steps now. You know, you poor thing, you don't, you don't wear out the, the fabric in between your legs because your thighs rub together. Or you poor thing, you don't need a seat extender on an airplane. Anymore. You know, that's the thing that a mature person can see. And again, that goes back to that insanity and lack of perception of these things. And that's what my disease does. And that's why having a sponsor is so important. You know, I today as a sponsor, I think my job is to not let my sponsor's disease call the shots. And I'll point out, I think that's your disease, you wanting to call the shot and, you know, wanting to negotiate. You know, I think my job as a sponsor involves me giving my sponsor good daddy love, as I like to call it. You know, and I have this theory I'll speak about in a second, Let me first preface it with explaining that what I'm about to say has nothing to do with gender, okay? But uh, I talk about the difference between mommy love and daddy love. You know, the mommy love is the kind of love uh, a mother gives a kid through a certain age growing up, and it's a wonderful and so important to help build the good, you know, strength, uh, eco-strength in a child. "Ah, Oh, you're wonderful, you're great, it's wonderful, you know, all pure positive reinforcement. And the trouble is, is that my disease praise on my immaturity and will suck that mommy love dry You know, and some of that mommy love can come in the form of, you know, a sponsor telling a sponsor,
4: oh, well, you had a slip, don't worry, it's okay. Oh,
1: slips are part of don't worry. And and the trouble is my disease when I was going, my relapse was like, oh, great, oh, great, I won't beat myself up. In fact, I'm going to go eat again tomorrow and I won't beat myself up again about that. And, you know, a way to sort of
3: make it okay. And um, my disease will, you know, constantly
1: want me to, you know, find those easier, softer ways and negotiate. And a sponsor that I believe needs to use daddy love is a key and operative word in that phrase, of course, being love. You know, like over my other program, you get people, go, we got to have tough love. Well, you know, sometimes tough love is sponsor's way of working out their anger issues. No, is about love. And so, you know, if, if a son does come with a slip to me, I don't go, oh, it's okay. I just go, yeah, man, you messed up. If we can figure out what went wrong and see that it doesn't happen again. You know, daddy love involves taking that that little kid who now has good ego strength and making them into a mature adult. And that's what uh, I believe is one of the keys to getting out of that, that immaturity loop. Uh, and then moving on, you know, to the other major one of mine, uh, you, you know, the narcissism, you know, the self-centeredness, ego, whatever you want to call it. You know, the thing is, I was raised by narcissistic parents, and I, so that's where I got it from. And I lived, you know, a whirlpool of self, I would say, or, or a better term is a prison of self. You know, I took so many things. And it, it involves many areas. This ego thing goes out into many areas. But, for example, it took, I took so many things personally. You know, when, when something happened, I would it would be all about me and convinced, you know. It also led me to be a, a little paranoid about things. Well, you know, if a person's paranoid, they gotta have ego, you know, to think that somebody's taking the time to really do something against you, you know. I love one of my favorite phrases that I heard was somebody said once, well, the thing that would really bother me about what people think about me is how little they actually think about me. You know, and it's true, the longer I was around, the more recovery, I realized 90% of these things I would take personal umbrage at had nothing to do with me. You know, I a old therapist used to say, never attribute to malevolence what could be better attributed to cluelessness. You know, a guy who cuts me off on the highway, he's not cutting me off deliberately. He's clueless. He's on the phone. He's doing whatever. And it sort of helps alleviate some of that. The other thing about me, he goes, I want, I want my way, my you know, all the time. You know, like it says in the big book, we are perfect examples of self will run riot. And, and today, and through recovery, I think of people other than myself, even strangers. You know, over in another program I, I'm in, there's a wonderful little piece of literature called The Checklist of Our Emotional Maturity. And, and it had some really wonderful things in it. And the one that really hit me, Ben, was it, it said a mature person accepts reasonable delays without impatience, realizing that some adjustment to the convenience of others is necessary. Wow,
4: that hit me like a ton of bricks.
1: It never occurred to me, you know. If I'm going through life and I want a green light while I'm driving, i got to be willing to sit through a red light so others can have their green light. That's part of life in a mature life and in society. The trouble is my past immature life and my ego, it wanted nothing but green lights. you know. The other part that was so dangerous about my ego part, the part that will get me with my disease, is my state of terminal uniqueness. You know, I'm different because I'm special and you don't understand the rules, don't apply to me or whatever. And that's the other thing about the terminal uniqueness is, is I can be no longer teachable because I'm special. That kind of thing won't happen to me, you know. Uh, and today, I don't think that, you know, I have, uh, I have buried two sponsees program. I've had sponsees who died. And, and, the, and then I had a really good friend named Murray out there who, who I wasn't a sponsee, but he went out and he died. And the thing about all three of them that I'm, when I think about them, they were all brilliant people. And I do mean intelligent to them, extreme. Murray, God rest him. Murray was literally a rocket scientist. Murray, There are things on the moon that Murray put up. And yet, he ended up going out, and he ended up dying. And the other scary thing about these three people I'm thinking of is none of them hadn't gotten the program. They all had it, and they all gave it away. I don't say lost. They gave it away. And what that makes me do now, now that I'm no longer unteachable, is to say, hey, if that can happen to them, it can happen to me. And that's the, one of the things that changed in me over the years. And part of that has to be about realizing I'm not terminating. And I, uh, you know, and because there's a great line I heard once. Somebody said, an intelligent person can learn from their mistakes, which was certainly true with me. But a wise person, a person with wisdom can learn from other people's mistakes. You know, if I, uh, if somebody said to me, oh, you see that griddle over there? Don't touch it, it's hot. I used to have to go over and go, ow, ow, you're right, it is hot. Now I don't, you know. Uh, another d- defective line line that comes out, for the most part, out of ego is what I, is now called base control issues, you know. This has always been one of my major problems, you know. Uh, and we uh, went to another program for it at one point. Um, and through years of therapy, I, I can see, you know, a lot of this arises from my childhood, child of alcoholics, and having to have control, you know, literally becoming so important to hold things together and to make life safe. You know, I was the only person who could make sure things were getting done right. But, you know, again, like all of these defects that even if I identify where they come from, and I'll just take a second, one of my favorite little uh, and I mentioned this at the Vision for You convention. Uh, one of my favorite little pieces of literature that most people in OA in uh, 12 food programs don't see, though it's it's perfectly acceptable as literature because it's AA-approved AA literature. There's this this pamphlet called um, A Member's Eye View of Alcoholics Anonymous, and it's, it's just written in a way to explain AA to people who don't understand it, but it's not written in the same kind of voice as the 12 and 12. For the uh, big book, it's more modern voice, and one of the things that the, the, the person who wrote it was talking about is that all of the stuff it's really good in a way to understand why we did a lot of the things we did, but they're of no use to us in terms of recovery. And the guy says. Uh, uh, he used the example, he said, you know, autopsies are a wonderful thing. They just don't benefit the person on whom they're performed. And and it's certainly true with this. And when I talk about, gee, I figured out that through years of therapy, this is why, it still hasn't changed the fact. But it is so important for me to cut that thread that passes back through time. It's like a thread that passes through time for me, you know. An old phrase that it's hysterical, it's historical, you know. Things hit me, and all of a sudden I'm a little kid again. I didn't even realize it, you know, because there's a you know axiom in psychology. Child is the father of man, and it's also the father of all of our defects. But we have to realize now we've got to get rid of them. These are things learned in our youth, and we can get rid of them. And when I look with an eye toward uncovering my part in these things, especially these control issues, I often see ego. I know better than you. I know what you should or shouldn't do. You
2: know.
1: I, I heard this great thing one time. I was leading a workshop up in Oakland, and and a person said her sponsor once told her about these control issues. Look, other people are not imperfect versions of you. <laughs> boy, I could identify with that. You know, maybe I do know better about certain things in certain circumstances. But I've learned I have to wait to be asked for my opinion on it, and only then, you know, I got taught. Don't rob somebody of the experience of making their own mistakes. Wow, that get me like fun brick So those are two of my uh, bigger ones, and you know some of the other ones uh, that come out for me uh, that are dangerous for me in my program are are cynicism and intellectualization. You know, because one of the ways my disease can get back is through those two. You know, I always joke. I say I have the trifecta of cynicism. I am an alcoholic comedian from New York. When well, you put those three things together and I, uh, you know, anything that sounds hokey, I'm going to roll my eyes at. I'm going to be small, the know-it-all, I got it down. But the longer I'm in the program, the more I, I'm sure about anything anymore, you know. Some of the things I believe today about my program and my disease, they're 180 degrees opposite of what I believed in the past. You know, and it's funny, a lot of times I'll start my retreats by saying, oh, you folks should have heard me 10 years ago. I had all the answers then, you know. But when I drill down on my cynicism, a lot of times what that underlying defect is, fear. You know, and actually we just say, almost all of these defects, if I just keep scraping down, comes down of fear, right? Things that I get angry over, you know, anger is just a secondary emotion. It's always on top of fear or hurt, one of those things. And you know, and guys, of course, don't want to talk about fear. We'll take the macho anger one. That's the one you like, but underneath, again, fear. And so the cynicism, the fear there is, is usually I'm being cynical about something I, I really don't understand. That's the thing I'm poo-pooing, Or sometimes something that threatens me in a way, you know, maybe because it makes me uncomfortable. I mean, the perfect example for me was positive affirmation. You know, when I first heard about positive affirmation, you know, I did that. I rolled my eyes. i like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go stand in front of a mirror and tell myself I'm a good person. Gosh darn it. But, you know, here's the thing. The longer I was around, the more I thought about myself, I bought hook, line, and sinker without even thinking about it. All of the negative affirmations I had ever done about myself. You know, and I, I could see that go back, to, you know, to my childhood. You know, I, you know, if I did something human, just, you know, drop something. I mean, oh, you stupid idiot. No, I'm a human being. That's what it was, you know. And so I need to lose some of that cynicism because my disease will use that to minimize, you know, any possible threat to my recovery. You know, that's its way to get its foot in the door. For me. You know, so I'll be the most cynical, sarcastic, 600-pound guy you've ever met. You know? So, again, how my disease gets back. Dishonesty is another one. You know, I don't do dishonest things like I used to when I was newly sober. Why? I think because I recognized real, relatively early on that doing dishonest things made me feel bad, you know, not necessarily on a conscious level, but at some deep core level. And, you know, I don't want to eat today. And more importantly, I don't want to want to eat today. And I know often that desire will start with how I feel about myself, you know. And, and what could I gain via dishonesty, whether it be a monetary or material gain that would be worth that, right? I mean, this old saying, what profit a man if he gains the world and the uh, whole world and profit, the soul. And that, you know, for me today, there's nothing out there, you know, in terms of that. It's not about being honest for any other reason than it's the right thing to do, you know. Another defect I have in my disease can use against me is perfectionism. You know, if I can't do it perfectly, I don't want to do it at all. Well, again, this is, you know, scrape another level, it's immaturity. You know, it's an immature attitude. Perfectionism concerns black light thinking. And I'd have to lose black white thinking because it's immature. You know, life isn't black and white, you know. Life isn't even actually gray. It's full of millions of colors, you know. But that's so much more complicated to wrap my brain around than just black and white, which is, I think, why I like that kind of thinking. And so my disease today would want to convince me when I'm in program that I'm not working my program perfectly, <laughs> you know. So why bother? You know, I ate a piece, uh, an, uh, an extra pea I shouldn't have, so I might as well go have a whole layer cake. What the hell? You know, we have a lady out here in L.A. who says, perfectionism is the conjoined twin of compulsive eating, and I, and I really believe that. So, you know, this is just a few examples. At the end of the day, all of these character liabilities, defense, mechanisms, of survival skills, whatever you want to call it,
4: you know, they're there
1: to fill up that God-shaped, holy side. I, I mean, deep down. I didn 't like who I was, I didn't think I measured up. I didn't think I was enough, right? I had to be perfect, for example, because I knew deep down I didn't measure up to you, so somehow, if I could be perfect, I, I was bolstering myself. You know Why did I need to do those things to pump up my ego? Because I thought I needed to you know, just to catch up to you and to others the you know the normal people. <laughs> I love somebody who says normal is just a sitting on a walk. I agree. You know, when I came into the program, for example, I had to make sure you knew just how smart I was. Why? Because I didn't like any other part of myself, and I felt my brain was like my only good quality. And And I understand today that, you know, as an old sponsor used to say, a person who truly is whatever doesn't need to do whatever. Meaning a person who likes how he is doesn't need to go around trying to find things to make himself feel better or superior. You know, the guy who spends a lot of time bragging about something probably doesn't really feel really he measures up, so he puffs himself up in public, you know. I know today it's okay to be just who I am. I don't need to run people down to get myself up, you know. And, and again, that's part of this process. As I get better, I don't need to do these things I used to, these character defects, you know, that I might have given up because I was told to. I now want to because I see I don't need to do them. They have been supplanted. But, you know, even years in the program, I think there's still a part of me that didn't measure up. Measure up. You know, I would read that step 10 part of page 86 and go, oh, you know, it would say things like, you know, will we resentful, selfish, dishonest, afraid? Were we kind and loving for it all? Were we thinking of ourselves most of the time? And, you know, years in the program, I'd be reading that going, God, no, I, uh, I'm i not doing those today, or I didn't do most of those today. But then who does? Who gets it perfect every day? You know? What I fail to understand about this process is that all these things in the big book are ideals. They're ideals toward which we strive, but most of the time they're ideals we fall short of. You know, as, as has been said by many people in the program, uh, uh, I understand that no matter how much I study and learn and memorize the big book in the 12 or 12 and all these other precepts of this program, I don't rise above the level of human being. And some days, I just fall flat on my face in terms of emotional recovery.
3: And it's okay.
1: I learn. I try to be better. You know, Dr. Paul, in, in his chapter on acceptance, has a wonderful line. And, and I, you know, everybody I know loves acceptance prayer on page 417. But read the next paragraph, and it's, it's got a great line in there. In fact, read the, that whole chapter the front and back as much as you can. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful way to explain how to go to God. But Dr. Paul says, when I complain about me or you, I'm complaining about God's handiwork. I'm saying I know better than God. And, you know, I read that for years and, and, and would say, yeah, when I'm complaining about you, I'm complaining about God's handiwork. But that's not what it says. It says when I'm complaining about me or you. When I'm complaining, i got to realize I need to develop that compassion myself and others and realize I'm a work in progress. you know it helps me be a little less hard on myself. you know
4: and again, why
1: these these defects aren't just undesirable they're dangerous to my continued recovery and that's why I need to get rid of them all. By the way, one of my favorite other sentences in the big book is right under that that, thing, uh, uh, that quote where it says "Before AA I judged myself on my intention while the world was judging me by my actions. I love that. You know, and so I, I humbly ask that I be relieved of my shortcomings. And you know, again, that hungry, humility, that was so hard for me when I came in, because I saw that as the equivalent of humiliation, being humble, you know, and then I, I moved forward. Then I started to think it meant like trying to walk around in some Gandhi like state, or state like a monk, you know, and, and today I know that's not what it is. I had a sponsor who said, humility is just having an objective view of yourself and your place in the world. You're neither at the top of the heap nor at the bottom. You know, you're just another bozo on the bus. But that was my ego, my grandiosity. If I couldn't be at the top of the heap, I want to be at the bottom. You know, as I looked there's a phrasing program, I was the piece of garbage the world revolved around, you know. But this way I stay teachable, you know, and that's an important thing. I want to talk about one other little thing. This is again. This comes under the heading personal thoughts on this step, and it's, uh, under the heading of take what you want, leave the rest. But I found this really helpful. In step six, and in previous steps, we'll hear about the phrase character defects. Yet in step seven, we read shortcomings. You know, so is there a difference between character defects and shortcomings? Well, technically, no. Okay, unless you're one of those people who wants to parse words down to the level of you know excruciating detail, they mean the same thing. And and also. Bill Wilson responded to this more than once, being asked this question. He said, well, he's he's just trying to be a good writer and mix up, use synonymous words to be, you know, mix the words up. However, I recently came across a concept that some people have and have found that it really works for them and the comprehension on this thing. And and here's the overall concept, that character defects have to do with the thoughts and motivations behind some of this, you know, this bad behavior I do. But that the shortcomings are the actual bad behavior, the acting out of my character. You know, for example, if I gossip negatively about somebody, I'm looking, I need to look at that motivation. Why was I doing that? Well, if I drill down, here's the thread I end up following. If I'm gossiping about somebody, it makes me feel good. I'm gossiping negatively probably based on some judgment I have about some situation and something that person did or doing that I'm gossiping about I feel is wrong. So whether I want to admit it to myself, I'm saying I'm better than that person because I wouldn't have done that thing I'm judging about. And again, that drills down to my ego, you know, and that drills down to not feeling, uh, you know, good enough. And that's why I I'm drill i talking somebody down to build myself up and that character defect, the ego. And obviously underneath that is fear of not being enough. But the shortcoming is actually doing the gossiping, right? And uh, I have to. I had such a problem in the beginning because, you know, it is a lifelong test. I cannot willingly give these up, but uh, I need to realize, that, and, and I needed to realize that I need to be happy with that patient improvement it talks about in the twelve and twelve concerning my defects. But I can make those first steps, you know, by reducing the shortcomings involved. In other words, cut out the gossiping, John, you know. And and so that was it helped me make it a little more tangible. Another great little thing I'll just say: she's a great person in the program she had a great idea that I always thought was great. Is that she she carried a list of her most glaring character defects, listed in shorthand on a laminated card. She keep it in her pocket, and pull it out on a regular basis. That's just as a way to remember the things she's susceptible. You know. So anyway, in summary, I just I think at the end of the day, the, the working of the steps six and seven is just another one of the processes you got to have to rely on faith. Uh, and be willing to do the entirely part It's so important. Uh, but by doing so, you turn into a better person. By doing that, you begin to like yourself, and you realize you don't need to do those things. You do. Uh, I need to remember, uh, you know, that that like other things in The Steps in Recovery, as it says in page 45 of uh, the big book, I need a power greater than myself to help me with these problems. I can't really relieve the stuff by my will. At the same time, I can do my part as much as possible. You know, as it says, "Pray to God and row to shore," and and that's what I'm doing now because I'm in that lifeboat I talked about. You know, so to that end, um, we're left where we are at the end of the, these steps in the big boat, which is the seven-step prayer. And so, anybody who would like to, uh, feel free to recite it with me, and that's what I'll end on the seven-step prayer. My Creator, I am now willing that you have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out of here to do your bidding. Amen. Thanks for letting me share. Leah?
0: Thank you so much, John, for such a beautiful presentation this morning. Chock full of your personal insights and experience. Thank you so much. John Kays. Contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so please stay tuned for that. Now we're going to open up the floor for questions. If you have a question for John, please press star 1 to unmute and identify yourself. Charlie G. I heard Charles. Who else did I hear? Charlie G. Charlie Anyone else? You don't have to be called Charles or Charlie. Sarah W. Sarah W. Okay, let's go with that trilogy, starting with Charles H. Please.
3: Thank you, thank you, John K. For your presentation. Um, Real simple question, and it was just buzzing around my head while you were um, qualifying. If step six and seven is so key and important, why do you think, in your opinion, in your humble opinion, why do you think um, the first hundred and Bill W. and them guys uh,
1: and ladies uh, only utilize two two paragraphs for those two steps? Uh, nice. Yes. Yeah. Well, I again, I know I'm not certainly not talking now to the people who saved my life, but I think part of it is it, you, you don't really uh, get some of that until so you've been at it for a while and if you think of when the big book was written you know these folks only had a couple of years in the program and they certainly understood oh i want to be done i want to be rid of these character defects but i don't think the import of how important they are at least in my opinion why how important they are uh comes until you've been at it a while and again part you know part of it's just trying to be a better person because that you know God, if the world was like the rest of us in 12-step programs, if we were, you know, if the world was getting up on a Sunday morning and doing things to try and be better people, and, you know, there are people out there going to churches on Saturday or Sunday or whatever, but it would be a great world, you know. But it's about becoming a better person, but then also the re- realizing the danger of not doing that. And, you know, if you only had a few years in program, there probably had been only a limited number of people who had... Enough time to have a certain amount of time of recovery before they went back out. But boy, I can tell you, the people I know who had a, you know, more than you know, a few months and ended up going relapsing, I can almost always drill back to these steps not being done well. So hope that helps.
0: Thank you, Charles.
5: Charlie, your turn. Hi. Good morning, Leah. Thank you. Uh, good morning, John. Thank you so much for your share. Um my question is, so unless I got it wrong because I wrote it down, um you talked about how character defects are like the difference between character defects and shortcomings, that character defects were our thoughts and our motivation behind the actions, which is the shortcomings.
1: Right. And again, this is just okay. a you know, it's this is just a personal thing that I heard and I really walked on to. You know, the reality i is, is, is you it just helps me feel a little better because again, I, I was always so confused about. Well, if, if I have nothing I can do about that, you know, uh, you know, what is the, uh, you know, I just have to wait for, you know, for my higher power, you know, to be the uh, character defect fairy and hit me on the head with the wand and then I'll be perfect, or you'll be taken away one by one. Whereas I can do my part, and, and by by putting it in that way, it's sort of helping me separate, you know. The things I can't do anything about, which is the overall, you know, that they will be lifted through, I believe, through the constant working of the steps, the motivations. I can certainly do my part in terms of considering the shortcomings of the things I actually do that I, I don't want to keep doing because they're destructive. They're just, they're not necessarily destructive to me personally, but they're going to be destructive in the long run in terms of me, my recovery.
5: Right. Okay, so my question uh, really is, how does the exact nature of my wrongs fit into that? Like, what are the exact nature of my wrongs? Is it my character defects? Or is it my shortcomings? Or is it something totally different?
1: Well, yeah, that's a good question. In, in other words, I think the wrongs are the actual actions that were done, you know, because that's what you're talking about, you know, is, in other words, when I'm working on... on. uh you know, uh you know, first, my fourth step, and then going to make amends i'm I'm making amends towards certain wrongs I did to somebody, you know, I got taught early on, and uh when I was doing one of my first you know ninth steps, uh I don't get to go walk up to somebody and say, "You know I've hated your guts my entire life. That's a thought, you know, I need to make amends for actions and uh and so. It's about, the, about the, the actual actions that are, are the exact nature of the wrongs. So the wrong, there are things in my head, like feeling I hated somebody's guts my entire life. It wasn't good for me, and I don't want to walk around hating people's guts my entire life anymore. But that's, you know, the actual wrongs are things done to them, the actual actions.
5: Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you, Charlie G. Sarah W.,
0: your turn.
4: Thank you for your service today, Leah. Good morning, John. Thank you so much. Um, Ditto is all I can say. Um, I wanted to um, ask
2: you about uh, morbid reflection and shame because I
4: find in my own working with others and myself that uh, via my history, um, some things still come up. And, um, you know, I can look at it a little bit more objectively today, but how can I help others? With um, the acceptance and
1: self compassion, or how have you found that you can help others with that? That's my question. Well, yeah, well, I think you hit the, the 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 nail on the head with the phrase self compassion of realizing I w- I wasn't a bad person then, or and, and even most cases the people who harmed me. You know, when I when I talk to people about you know people who harmed me or others, you know, they're not they're not bad people, they're sick people. Uh, and, and I wasn't a bad person. I was a sick person. I, I didn't, you know, come out of the chute with all these character defects loaded in from my higher power. These were things that came as a result of, you know, uh, not exactly being raised by the, uh, you know, the cleavers, <laughs> of course I'm showing my age there, the Huxtables the whoever, uh, that, um, I need to have the compassion to realize I was a broken person and that, you know, we it, it's, well, I won't get into the whole thing about this, but, it, you know, I I go to other, AA and uh, there they always end with the Lord's Prayer, and I know they don't do that very much in OA for various reasons, and it's fine, but one of my favorite lines of that thing, and I'm not a Christian anymore, um, uh, is that forgive us our trespasses as we would forgive others, meaning, you know, if I want, forgiveness. I've got to forgive, you know, your discretions and, and to realize, uh, and part of that is, again, realizing, you know, we're all just these little kids running around in adult suits, as I like to say, and that, that, you know, we're damaged people. And, uh, when I can see myself as not da- as, as, as damaged, uh, in the past, I can be a little, I can show some more compassion for me. And yeah, I did a lot of things that I am super not proud of, but, that's part of working out. If I've really done these steps correctly, you know, I've done God. I don't know how many now. I've done four steps, but my my subsequent to my first step, I didn't rehash and bring everything back up again. I did my best to get rid of it, and then, so then the next four steps would have things that came up since then, or things that were uncovered since then, and uh, you know, and like you said, more of a reflection and. And part of that is if you haven't, if you're still going around with when you think of something, get this real. Oh God, then you've got to find a way to forgive yourself. Did did, did that get all worked out as much as you could? You know, in some cases, I you know, I had amends to make to people that were dead, and all I could do is do my best and say, you know, sorry. I uh, I was a damaged person, and I'm the, I'm trying my best today to not be that damaged person anymore and live a living amends. And, and to me, that's all you can do, and to again, have compassion for yourself, not stay in that because you know we can all think of things and spend our lives in it, and not say that was me. that's not the me I am today at the very least. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Sarah. Who else has a question this morning for John star one ton mute?
5: Hello Amanda, this is Sally. H.
0: Hmm? Sally. I heard him. Amanda, Sally. Anyone else?
4: This is Alexis H. Alexis. All
0: right, Amanda, get started
6: okay hi good morning thank you john k for your um presentation and something that struck me that you said was about sponsoring with the fatherly love with the paternal um that structure kind of that that we get from fatherly love and because i had a very um screwed up relationship with my father and i feel like the nurturing qualities in me are a lot stronger I'm just beginning to start working with others and just developing that confidence to share what what I've been so freely given. And um, I'm gonna be working with a sponsee today on steps two and three um, in about an hour and a half. And I want to know how you um, develop sort of the confidence and the ability to channel something that maybe was not modeled for you and um, and h- how you do that. So, yeah, that's my question. I hope that's clear.
1: Sure, yeah. Yeah, um, well, first of all, you know, like one of the things I had a, I had a friend who, who uh, had a sponsor who uh, when he was uh, doing his fourth step said had another column that says what would a person who's raised well do with whatever it was you were doing and and realize yeah i i was not raised well and didn't have good modeling and that's part of my lifelong thing now is to. And, and okay this is going to sound you know my cynical part is going to make fun of my other part and and say it sounds a little hokey to say we have to almost become our own parents and reparent ourselves a little and. To realize how to do it differently, and and um, uh, you know, and and I look back now and go, uh, uh, I have to find a way to lovingly speak the truth about things, and and and, and but to, you know, there's a great line, uh, you know, you know, mean, uh, do what you say, say what you mean, but don't say it mean. Uh, you know, again, my obligation, I believe, as a sponsor, is to try to not be a people pleaser and actually. I got a lot of help going to another program. It made me a better sponsor in all my other programs as a result because I don't want to be a people pleaser anymore. That's of no use being a a sponsor who's a people pleaser is a real disservice to the sponsee, you know, and that I don't, I don't have to say it mean, I don't, I have to be careful and look at my motivation when I say something, make sure I'm not coming, maybe it's hitting something in me, you know, uh, and not allow that. Uh, But that, um, I need to find a way to do that. I mean, I think back at, um, you know, uh, I ended up sort of, be, not only did I not have good parenting, I, I I had an absence of parenting at a very early age. So I almost like raised myself. So for example, I, part of, I think my my way of doing things when I was young, younger was, okay, there's two states of life. It's either perfection or it's garbage. Uh, and, and, I know today that's not the situation. And, and, you know, if I failed with something, uh, I would be, Oh, you, you're an idiot or something, or you're horrible. And, and what I began to realize is a loving parent in that I didn't have would say, well, yeah, you didn't do it right, but you know, okay, not everybody does. We'll learn from the next time. And let's try and do better and sort of just have that overall attitude, not, not, Fawning motherly kind of oh and sweep it under the rug but not oh you're a horrible person because I got plenty of that myself. I didn't need any more of that. But they needed that loving way of being able to acknowledge there was room for growth, but in a in a good way so that I could, you know, I like I said, in some ways always modeling for myself to become a you know a better person. I d I don't know if that answered your question exactly.
0: Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, Amanda. Sally,
3: it's your turn. Hello,
4: this is Sally. You can hear me? Yes. Oh, great. Um, my question is, you you briefly mentioned um, some writing that someone did where they said what the first 164 pages of the big book meant, you know, um, in a more simplified form, if I heard you right. And is that something I can get a hold of?
1: Sure. Um, it could be, a, you can either go to an AA meeting and get a physical copy, or uh, AA.org, I believe that's AA's website, has has it in a PDF format. And I'll What's, I'll what's read it the name. called? Okay, I'm going to give you this. I just wanted to say I'm going to about to give the name. Anybody else who wants to get a pen, I'll. I'll <laughs> it was. I'll just give you a quick rundown. What it was is it was a talk that was given by a gentleman named Alan M. who was here from Los Angeles. He was giving this the talk to uh, a group of of people graduating UCLA to become substance abuse counselors, and it was. A, it's a wonderful description of how the steps work and how it all works, but in more of a modern language. It's essentially just reiterating everything that's in the Big Book in Twelve and Twelve, but said and, and it's been a bet, what I it's not a better way. It's just that you know, especially for newcomers, it's a little hard dealing with some of the archaic language and things like that, and, and being very male-oriented. Mm-hmm. So this was a really great pamphlet. Okay, so the name of it is A mm-hmm. Member's Eye View of Alcoholics Anonymous.
5: A Member's Eye View
1: you of Alcoholics Anonymous and it's up on the AA.org website and take the time to read it through. The beginning is a little dry, but it it really gets better and and it has some wonderful thoughts in there. Okay. Mm
0: -hmm. Thank you so much. Sure. Thank you, Sally. Alexis, it's your turn. Hi, thanks. This is Alexis.
4: Um, I had a question about, uh, I guess, just kind of dealing with character defects in the moment. Um, Where I am in my step work is that I went through and uh, did four and five and uh, a lot on nine, and I'm kind of in the just maintenance steps of of doing like not daily but frequent tenth steps and um, staying in touch with my higher power with 11 steps. But what's been going on for me lately is that I feel like, I don't I don't know what it is, but, like, my character defects are just rearing their head a lot lately. And I keep trying to, like, just catch myself and notice it and then take the appropriate action. But there's a part of me that just feels like there's a simpler way through this. And um, I just wanted to know what your experience is or, you know, if you have any advice for how to handle it when you feel like your character defects are just kind of up in your face.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, part of that is called being human.
7: Um, but um, I do try and, and 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 like I said, you know, I love that thing. I, I I didn't do it myself,
1: but I I also think it's a wonderful thing. The idea of even just writing out your some of your main character defects on a, on something to carry with you and to, and to realize and and just be a little more aware. That's the other thing that happens is the longer you go through and and if you've gone through the steps a couple of times. You really start to realize where you know, the things you do now you know part of that is is uh not not banging yourself over the head with with you know self recrimination, but the sort of say, "Oh, here I am again, I'm starting to do this, and let's see if we can cut that out and and things like that you know um uh because it is it's a it's a lifelong process and and part of that character defect is also, uh, you know, expecting that you're going to be perfect. So it's almost like one of the character defects is, is beating yourself up over your character defects in a, in a ironic kind of way. But, you know, it's just as best as you can try and catch them. Now, you know, again, you know, there used to be a lady in the in, in, in program I was in it was, it, and they talked about food, but it can also be available uh, for you as terms of defects. She used to say, well, you know, for every, for every year in program, and get an extra second to consider things before the first compulsive bite. But it's also sort of true with, with you know, the longer you have in program, the more time you can, can get before you do the actual action that's going to be injurious, you know, to others or whatever. You know, that, that great line from the AA 12 and 12, of restraint of pen and tongue, Mm-hmm. Boy, I tell you that to me is is, is, is I got a right. I got a tattoo on the inside of my eyebrow uh, eyelid. That thing, and I always add to that in modern terms: uh, uh, restraint of pen and tongue and send button. Because <laughs> in in, uh, in in modern life, it isn't just a matter of face to face sometimes, but to, to do that and to try and say, take a take a second, especially on things like that. I know. Um, I try to be careful, you know, you, you, it's a human nature to respond almost in a knee-jerk fashion with emotion. Whereas if you can, you know, hold that in abeyance for, you know, 10 minutes, you'll have a little bit more of an objective view of, gee, is this true? Because I've, I've done things where I've fired something back to somebody and, first of all, I've misread the thing and, and done something. And, whereas if I can hold on to it, uh, I can take the time to, to more... Uh, Uh, to let this, you know, let everything cool down and then maybe I'll see things in a slightly different way. And it's the
3: same with Mm -hmm. any of those
1: character defects. I hope that helps.
0: That helps. Thank you. Thank you, Alexis. Any other questions this morning for John? This will be the final uh, invitation for questions this morning. Star 1 to unmute. Hi, Santa. Hi, this is Toby. Oh, Toby. Tamilar B.
3: Tamilar. Anyone else?
0: Okay, that's a nice
3: group.
5: Rosemary?
0: I didn't catch that last name.
5: Rosemary W.
0: Rosemary. Okay, Santa H. Okay, thank you so
6: much, Les. I mean, um, Leah, for your service, and, and thank you, Jack, for your service as well. Uh, my question is, uh, working with when you're working with others, and newly responsive, and you're taking them through the steps. And of course, as you beautifully explained, at steps six and seven, is not really um, fully explained thoroughly as four, five, and eight, nine is in the big book with practical application. How do you work with a responsive in getting them? To develop that fixed steps, so that they can move on effectively to do effective amends with that I passed.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Well, uh, a big part of that has to do with their fourth step because um, one of the things that'll you know, you know, present and future behavior is usually patterned on past behavior, and and for them to take a look at you know the the uh, what's my part in it part of of an inventory. You know, I sort of like. to the inventory done, and everybody has different ways. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan of page 65 in the big book, and you know, the idea of putting that what's my part in it as a way to look at, um, uh, you know, what the things are, and then it tends to, again, there tends to be, uh, patterns, and to say, you know, well, yeah, you know, and then to talk to them about some of that. You know, I will, when I'm going through steps with people, <clears throat> you know, bring up, um, you know, say well, you know, and I, I, these people who I, I don't understand people who say, oh, I finished my fourth step and then I burned it, and it's like, well, fine, make a copy. You're going to need that because it helps identify your 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 character defects. So it's also going to be your list of people you need to make amends to. Um, so that I will talk to them about looking at that list uh, of uh, their part in any of those specific things. they can you see the things you've got to lose here and, and how do you go about, you know, and again, it's one of those things that he's a little baffling of, well, okay, these are the things God's going to take care of. Them. what the heck am I supposed to be doing? Well, I, I, again, I, I sort of like that, that character defect versus shortcoming of saying, well, you could start by not repeating the things that you, you did in the past. That's a, a big part of it. And then, you know, look at things, you know, when I, you know, when I first came in, I remember one of the first things I had to deal with in, in, uh, in uh, giving up character defects was dishonesty. I had one of those uh, little funny cable boxes that got every channel and I didn't have to pay for it. And I realized I'm going to have to give that up. And, you know, there's a little that little five-year-old whining going, but I don't want to. I like being able to watch every cable channel. But I also knew this was a program of honesty. I couldn't I couldn't keep doing that. You know, it, like, you know, you can, but you're, you're playing Russian Roulette with your recovery. And um, so I like to try and take them through using their fourth step as, as a basis uh, to, to take a look at those character defects and get them out. And and also say, keep keep your eye out for ones that may crop up you haven't thought of. You know, again, uh, second, third, fourth steps, there were things I had never thought of. You were either never thought of or had forgotten. And had to go back and, and revisit. So hope help that helps.
0: Thank you, Santa. Toby.
4: Yeah, hi. Um this is Toby Kay. Um sometimes I, I get into a funk, like a
3: depression, and then I can't do anything. I can't work on my character defects and um it's it takes hours for me to get out of it. Is that a question though, or? Um, well, how would I? How could I approach it? I guess write about it and. Um, yeah, well. Or maybe um, it's a denial. I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, um, let me just say first of all, um, you may have a physiological thing. You may need to see a doctor if it's actual clinical depression. That is a real thing. It's a real physiological thing, and and that shouldn't be taken. Uh, lightly, uh, you know, I've had, you know, I'm not one of these. I come from another program where you get some of these people that are, oh, you, you never do anything, you know, any drugs. Well, you know what? Uh, something like clinical depression is, is, it's not a matter of getting high. It's a matter of finding something that'll just get you back to the baseline that everybody else is starting from. Uh, but in terms of other depression, a lot of that, uh, you know, and when I look back at myself, there's a couple parts of this. It. A, a lot of my depression was. Uh, uh me being obsessed with myself and self and self and self, you know there's an old thing in program that uh, if you're you're feeling down, pick up the phone and call somebody and ask them how they're doing getting out of yourself so much of my earlier depression was my, you know it was all about me and and being obsessed with me and all that, and getting out of yourself uh does a lot to go uh, to that end and uh um yeah, like I said, you know, the part, uh, you, you know, involves that. Now again, it may be something that you need to get help for. You know, and like it says, we're not professionals, and I'm not a professional, so I'm not saying that you should or you shouldn't. But I'm saying it may be something to explore. But then, uh, you know, if, if you can't do something, um, get on the phone. You know, trust God, clean house, help another, um, and and get out of yourself. Get out of yourself, and and, and you'd be surprised sometimes. Talking to other people, you know, one of the wonderful things about meetings is is it helps ground us out. We get we get sort of in our if we're all by ourselves, our problems become huge, you know. And then we go to a meeting, or we dial into a meeting, and we hear other people, and we hear what they're going through, and it helps put our our lives in some kind of perspective. That you know, we're all going to have things happening all the time, and and then also it shouldn't affect our meetings. but it's a great you know, uh, a couple of paragraphs on page 450 and 451 in the new edition where it talks about, you know, um, my sobriety has to be uh, have a life of its own. My abstinence has to have a life of its own. It can't be dependent on the constant ups and downs of life because there's always going to be ups and downs of life. So I would say what number what one is... I'm sorry, uh, what four, page did you say?
3: Page 450,
1: and I think it's at the bottom of 450, top of page 451. Um, I'll get it to you in a second. Um, that, um, you know, again, it's about getting out of yourself and um, uh, in helping somebody else. And then you may, again, have a clinical problem. I'll read this because it's one of my favorite uh, sections. It's at the bottom of 450, top of 451. It says, I realized I had to separate my sobriety from everything else that was going on in my life. No matter what happened or didn't happen, I couldn't drink. In fact, none of these things I was going through had anything to do with my sobriety. The tides of life flow endlessly for better or worse, both good and bad, and I cannot allow my sobriety to become dependent on these ups and downs of living. Sobriety must have a life of its own. There's always going to be stuff happening. Whenever I hear a response, he say, oh, you know, that slip say, I ate because this happened and I ate because that happened. I go, no, you ate because you're a compulsive eater. You ate because, I mean, did you think about placing a bet on a horse when that whatever it was happened? No, because you're not a compulsive gambler but I guarantee you some sponsor in, in GA is going to have somebody say, I placed a bet on a horse because my wife yelled at me or whatever. And I need to remember that's going to always be my path, least resistance, my default behavior for all this stuff going on in my life. is to go eat. And so I need to break that, that connection totally and say life's always going to happen. So hope that helps.
0: Thank you. Thanks, Toby K. Tamilar B., Your turn.
4: Good morning. Um, Good morning, John. Thank you so much for your service and for your service too, Leah. Um, There's this, I guess, this big discussion. It's not a big discussion, but there's a hair splitting, and I often hear this in the rooms, and it often talks about um, character defects not being uh, completely removed or um, you'll be more aware of them. What is your
1: take on that? I... I, um, yeah that's my question. What is your take on that? um yeah I mean in terms of being completely removed i would love i think i think my character defects are going to be completely removed about, about ten minutes after they start throwing dirt on my face uh but i i you know it's that patient improvement it talks about in twelve and and that um I have to i just have to do my, my part as much as I can and again, the more I work on all the underlying things in, in almost all, it's almost like all this other work in the other 10 steps help sort of undermine and, and, and erode away the motivations for these character defects as as I get better. And then in turn, I don't end up with doing the actions that I don't want to do that make me feel bad and that can, you know, lead me to go back out and things like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, in other words, at the end of the day there i i can i j I need to do the footwork on all the other things, just like I, I mentioned before about how at the end of the day all these steps come down to a spiritual awakening, the spiritual awakening will then fold back around and help like erode away these character defects, but you know again, it's more about uh them getting less, you know am i t- totally honest and everything? I think I am, but I'm sure if I sit and drill down, I'm going to think of something where I'm not totally honest. Um, but it lessens. It lessens. And then and the other thing is, the more when I identify something, I, I do want to change that because I don't want to be the person. And like like you were you were saying, you'll become more aware of those as you go along. And uh, so for me, I think part of them being removed involves. You know, when I first came in, I, I I saw it as something like like I was saying earlier about you know the, the the defect fairy is going to hit me on the head with a wand. But now I can see it's more about um, uh, the more I work, the more these things will just sort of you know erode away until they're they're a lot less. And I and again I want to get rid of them, and I do what I can, mainly by um, uh, not you know trying to identify the actions. Hey, because uh, it.
3: That up. That's a really good speaker. Thank you. He I'm, about a <laughs> I'm going LA. to
0: mute the line. Everybody, 10. please stay muted. John, I'm going to mute, so you'll need to press star one, one
3: to unmute. Okay. John, just star one to unmute, please. Thanks. All right. Well, thank
0: you, uh, Pamela R.B., for your question. Rosemary W., are you unmuted?
3: Star 1 to unmute.
5: Hi, this is Rosemary. I'm sorry. Hi I'm I'm Rosemary.
0: One moment. Let's make sure John is unmuted. John K, star 1 to unmute.
7: Hey, sorry. I actually accidentally hung up and had to recall. Him.
0: Okay, no problem. Thank you. I just obviously needed to clear the line there. Okay, go yeah. ahead Rosemary with your question.
5: Well, I just want to thank you, John. You spoke with with real clarity. Um about everything uh that um and one of the things while everyone has their pen out I would also like to know the pamphlet that you had mentioned not a pamphlet or a list you said about emotional maturity because in all of this I don't see my own defects of character but I mm. can read about and see myself in things that I see in others or read about, you know, that it helps me to, to see. So right now I am struggling with, um, you know, this is my beginning of my third day of abstinence and Mm. I'm just more irritated than I want to be. And I'm very irritated at my husband and I have deep resentments and it's affecting, I, I don't want this to interfere now with today's abstinence because I'm shaky enough that it could so I need to do some looking at what what my part is and I also need to ask for forgiveness you know the days reading that I read and the meditation was all about that and damn it I hate doing it but I have to do it and I have to do it in a way that is honest and that is helpful to me from the heart and not in a backhanded way of criticizing,
2: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> of
5: course, you know, or whatever you can get, I can yeah. get so easily tripped up
7: with. Sure. Let me, let me answer I'm, the question. Um, well, I, you know, with the other pamphlet I mentioned, it, it's an AA pamphlet. And as a result, uh, in case nobody knows this, let me just say it because it came up at our, our home, my home meeting the other day that all AA literature is also OA conference approved. Uh, this is, is an Al-Anon pamphlet, so uh, I don't think I can talk about it from here. Leah, I, uh, you're the adjudicator on that. <laughs> but maybe Perhaps. Google emotional maturity in Al-Anon and, and take it from there <laughs> or go to an Al-Anon meeting. You can get it. Okay. I don't want to – I don't want you know, Okay, I understand. I, I try to be really careful about outside uh, stuff. Yeah, I, I get it. I can always go –
5: Look yeah. on online or call a friend I know that might be in the program. Um, okay, great. And and, and by the way, just the other
7: thing about what you're going through, especially when you're newly abstinent, you know, there's a great phrase that says, you know, when you come into pro- program, you're going to feel better. You're going to feel anger better. You're going to feel hurt better. You're going to feel all these <laughs> like things because you're not numbing anymore. And you're also, it, to be honest with you, uh, don't ever discount the uh, the idea of physical withdrawal. Uh, I, I, you know, there's more than enough scientific proof out there that if you've been eating a lot of things and you give them up in a hurry, especially certain, you know, things, uh, you can be affected negatively. So maybe just do your best right now with restraint of pen and tongue and, and until you're cleared out. And if you have something, you can always address it at a, at a later time. Just (laughs) as I say in my marriage for domestic tranquility, (laughs)
5: Thank you. Thank you for that. All right.
7: Thank you, Rosemary for, your, Rosemary, for
0: your question. Thanks to everybody for your questions this morning. And, of course, thank you so much, John, for such an interesting, thoughtful, and helpful presentation this morning.
4: And I'm going to close.
0: John. Thank you, John. Thank you. I'm going to close from page 164 the way we always close at a vision for you.